Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, hola. Thank you for tuning into the Hello Latino podcast. I'm Odalis Jasmine, and I'm excited for you all to listen in on my conversation with Emily Rodriguez, or as some of you may know her, DJ Ms. This girl is for real one of my homegirls. You know those people you just naturally have a connection with, like you've known them forever? That's Emily. We sat down together and had the most beautiful conversation about mental health in our hoods, in our families, and in our communities. She talks about her own experience with anxiety and how she's now helping others navigate through it. She's all about advocacy, representing marginalized communities, healing through music, and practicing self-care on the daily. Por atención, because she'll be dropping hella mental health resources. Find her on Twitter at Ms or on IG at DJMs. Our convo starts with us bonding over our beautiful hood, San Diego. Así que este chisme está buenecito. San Diego girls. <laughs> I know when you're bringing up all that stuff, I was just like, dang, I yeah like no one knows what you're talking about unless you're from san diego so right i was like you know i'm just gonna mention it for my san diego homies who know what i'm talking about like encanto area like yeah that's where i came from that's the little hood i i didn't mention this in in my intro episode but my brother um you know where lincoln high school is right Mm -hmm. my brother went to lincoln we lived like kind of close by there and you know like the four corners of death have you heard of that no I used to run yeah. cross country t- like around Lincoln. Like, oh really? I used to practice oh yeah, because you went yeah. to Mount Miguel, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. I never no, knew my four corners of death. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, no, it's like a real thing. But it's uh, my brother used to walk it every single morning, and like at night we would go pick him up at school because you know it was dangerous to walk at night. But it's like a gas station, a liquor store. You have to look it up after this, but it's like gas station, liquor store, and a taco shop, and then the school corner, and it's like where a lot of violence happens so like my brother would walk that every single morning and it's just like normal you know we didn't know what that was until like I mean we did but until after the fact we're like oh that's actually pretty like dangerous how serious it is yeah I mean like I said I used to run cross I used to practice in the summer going towards Lincoln I was never scared because that's that's where like that's where I went you know like yeah that's where we came from I'm gonna go run a couple miles like in the hood like it's fine that's just normal like I had a hell of friends that live there too so you yeah <laughs> same with um Bar- barrio logan like bro i used to go there <laughs> i had a friend that lived there and i used to like try to go over there but my parents would be like no <laughs> yeah, yeah and friend- now it's like hella touristy did you see oh yeah it's it's super hipstery like my i was, great I was like what like there's yeah. people who just hang out here now like yeah <laughs> it is crazy my great grandpa has a house there so i grew up going there like a lot I have family my aunt used to live across the park from Chicano Park she actually was an activist she did activist work to keep the park there um Mm. so yeah I spent a lot of time there too my great grandpa is still still hanging on he's still alive so he's there right now like at his house oh I love it I love that we can talk about San Diego this way we I know because no one else knows like everyone knows (laughs) for the beach like (laughs) I know the first time I moved to San Jose I was at the dorm and they asked me, oh, you're from San Diego. Do you surf? And I'm like, no. Yeah, like, <laughs> I'm like, I wish, but no. Like, I did not spend my time going to the beach every single day as much as I'd like to. But yeah. Yeah. yeah I thought that too. I was like, I never really, I didn't grow up going to the beach really. Like, it was 15 yeah. minutes away, but like, that just wasn't, the beach was not really something like, my parents never like, oh, let's go to the beach. Like, yeah, you know? same here. Not until same we were here. older, we started to go to the beach, but the beach was the bay. So my yeah. dad was like, let's go to the beach. I'm like, we're going to the Bay, Dad. This is not the beach. Like, <laughs> And then have a little barbecue exactly. and eat hella. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's what we would do. <laughs> that's so funny. Well, I'm excited to talk to you because, I mean, first of all, we're like amigas. You know, I've known you for so long. But also, like, the first 
you know, like every friendship has that moment where you're like, damn, that's my homie. Like, that's how you know we're like friends. And it was a time when we went on that walk. Do you remember? Yes, I remember. It was like sophomore year. And it was so random. I still have your sweater, by the way. Oh my God, I'm dead. (laughs) You lent it to me. I saw it in my suitcase, like here in San Diego, because I came back and I was like, this is not mine. This is probably Emily's from that walk. Oh, yeah. No, but I remember that walk. And it was like, literally, I feel like it cemented our friendship because we talked about everything. Like, we were working for a long ass time. (laughs) Yeah, where it's like, it's a little dog. We should go back. Yeah. (laughs) But we talked about everything. Like, and the, the part that like stood out to me the most was like, you're probably the first person that really taught me vulnerability because like, I never talked about like my life. I never really talked about like all the mental health, like stuff that my family and me, you know, like the story that I told in my first episode, like you are like the first person that really taught me how to be okay with vulnerability and how to own like the things that we hide, you know, below the surface. So that's why I'm like hella excited. I'm like, oh, wow. Emily, like... You, you are such an inspiration and on your own. Like, you're just so – you're such a dope human. <laughs> wow, that's crazy because I didn't even think about it. Like, I didn't even really think about it like that. And that day I was having – I was having a hard day. Like, I was just like – I mean, it's sophomore year, you know, your first generation, you know, like, trials and tribulations are kind of nonstop. And, I mean, that year was horrible, actually. Yeah, I almost left school because I was like, I need a break from this. Like, I just couldn't focus. So that day, like, it, it really meant a lot too. And I was like, wow, who knew, like – Cause you were like, oh, you want to go on a walk? And I was like, okay, like, so we went and so we random. were for like an hour. Yeah. And that's like, that's like the first time we really hung out like that long. Like um, by ourselves. Like just yeah. One on one. yeah. Yeah. So for I really sure. appreciate that. That's crazy. I didn't know that, that you felt that way. <laughs> yeah. And you were so open about like, you know, how you were feeling your anxiety. So like, we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit more, but like, let's start from the beginning. You know, we bond over being from San Diego all the time, but I don't know if I've heard like your entire story. Like, of course, probably on that walk, I heard a lot about a lot of different things in your life. But like, let's talk about you. I want to I want to hear your story. I want to give you the platform to talk about Emily. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So my name is Emily Rodriguez. Um, I am originally from San Diego, California, Southeast San Diego, Spring Valley, to be exact. Um, I went to San Jose State uh, with you, Jasmine, and I majored in psychology Uh, Let's backtrack a little bit. So my dad, he actually came to the United States when he was four years old. He came from Sinaloa in Mexico. um, And he came with half of his family first. So one half of his family came. uh, He has a big family. So half of them came at one time. The other half came at another time. And what they did was when he came the second time that it was he was the last batch of family to come. And they sold all of their, their Christmas gifts to come plus everything else they had they left everything behind yeah uh my dad he has a little bit of memories you know about mexico he was young when he left obviously but um he's in san diego now and my dad's so my dad's mexican my mom's side of the family they're filipino and mexican so that's my mom's side of the family they grew up in barrio logan and i have aunts and uncles who still live there my grandma and grandpa grew up there my my mom grew up there too, and uh, they saw they saw Barrio Logan when it was not what it is now. It's it's mm-hmm. not it wasn't a hipstery you know kind of location where you go and hang out and get coffee. You know, you literally saw people dead on the floor constantly because of the drugs and violence that was happening in Barrio Logan. So, fast forward to college, uh, I went to obviously I came to San, San Jose State. I really wanted to leave home. I wanted to leave the environment that I knew my whole life. I knew that from like seventh grade. I was like, I don't want to stay here. I know there's more out there for me and I'm going to do everything in my power to leave. So that's what I did. I committed myself to uh, to going to college and getting really good grades. And I got into San Jose State. It was one of my only options and I wanted to go as far away as possible. Um, mm-hmm. So I chose San Jose State. And then I majored in psychology and that's where I met you. I met you there at NAS, Associated Students. I really wanted to get involved in the way that me and Jasmine met. She actually interviewed me to be a part of Associated Students. At the time, we both were in a retention program called Aspire. And Manuel, Manuel was our mentor. Manuel. Mentor, mentor, counselor, advisor. He Immediately when I said I was from San Diego, he's like, you need to meet Jasmine. You need to meet Jasmine. Because I have... I would tell him all of my dreams and goals and, you know, why I'm here. And he was like, you need to meet Jasmine. I need to connect you too. 
Uh, and so we connected and here we are. Man, Manuel has been, he was also like such a pivotal person in my life. Same. Like, like I, you heard my first episode, I mentioned Tony Garcia, the one that helped me get into college. So Manuel is Tony's friend. And so that's how I know <laughs> Latinos, we stick together, but that's how I like met Manuel. That's how I got involved in Aspire. Cause I was like, Tony, I'm scared. Like, I don't know what I'm gonna do in college. I don't know how to do this. And he was like, oh, my friend works there. You'll be fine. And Manuel, I mean, yeah, he was definitely a huge person. But uh, yeah, I forgot he connected us. Low key, I, I forgot that. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, he so. yeah, he was one of my, he definitely encouraged me to pursue, continue to stay at San Jose State and continue psychology because sometimes I felt really discouraged, especially being first generation. I mean, I was going through a lot the first couple of years. So I went in his office many times crying and he was just like, it's okay, you know, like you're going to get through this. You're going to finish you're going to stay here, you know, and I, I did finish. So really, I, yeah, he means a lot to me too. Like, thank God he came into my life. Otherwise I wouldn't, if it weren't for Aspire and him, like I probably wouldn't have finished, honestly. Like who knows what would happen. I know. And that's the thing is like that support system. That is so, it's everything. It, <laughs> it's is. Like it is everything. Yeah. Because talk I mean, about, oh, sorry, go ahead. Because I mean, you already know, like being first generation, like I was the first one to come to college and my parents don't know what the heck is going on, you know, like, and I don't expect mm -hmm. them to, because they didn't go. So, you know, like it's, yeah, you definitely need that community and someone to ask questions, you know? Yeah. You literally read my mind. Cause I was going <laughs> to ask you talk about, talk about being first generation. Like that is a huge thing that no one talks about. Like we all struggle through it, but it's like, just keep grinding, just keep your head down, just keep doing it. Right. Yeah, I laugh now because I can laugh now. Thank God. Um, but uh, being first generation, oh my goodness. So I mean, fortunately, I was a part of the Spire program. And I always I usually worked. So I always worked in like resource centers and the resource centers were my community, you know, but mm -hmm. it was a struggle. Like I remember leaving high school and I had one mentor who told me, this is going to be the hardest thing you have to do for your family. I'll be honest with you, you can do it, but it's going to be really hard. And I remember hearing his voice, like in times where I was crying or like, I just felt really defeated. And I mean, it was hard. It was really hard. Like, I mean, I can't talk to my parents about finals, you know, like they don't know what that is. They know that it's stressful. School is stressful, but they don't know to what degree necessarily. So you really have to find your own community. And that's what I did. Like, I really just put myself out there and I met you. I met hella different people. And I networked basically to create, you know, my group of friends because a lot of my most of my friends were first generation, too. So fortunately for us, you know, like you and me and just like friends I had that were first generation that made all the difference um, because we understand, you know. Mm -hmm. So talk about one of the things that we talked about and we continue to talk about and you're a big advocate for this is like mental health and mental wellness. And you are so open about talking about that. And again, that's the first you're the first person that was like, okay, talking about it. And you didn't make it like sound, you know, like it was a bad thing. Like this is normal. This is what everyone goes through, but no one feels comfortable talking about it. And like, again, you opened that door for me. I'm like, oh, Emily, you know, <laughs> and so you are still an advocate and like talk about mental health and talk about anxiety. And you can also talk about how that feels like in the Latino community. Yes. That's a whole so different story. It is. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll start with the, I'll start from the beginning. So Back in probably in elementary school, I immediately noticed, you know, I don't have, I didn't have the words for what was happening in my life because I was young, you know, but a lot of my family members, uh, they struggled with alcoholism, drug addiction, mental illness. And I remember like being scared to go to certain family members' houses because, you know, I never knew what was going to happen, you know, like, are they going to be violent? You know what? I don't even understand. I'm like eight years old, you know? All I know is I'm scared and I don't know what's happening. Um, so around that time, I started like kind of asking questions and I noticed my younger brother, he he had a learning disability actually. And he saw a psychologist on, at, or not at GSU, why am I saying that? At elementary school. <laughs> so I asked my mom, I was like, why does he keep leaving class and seeing this older lady? You know, and I'm the oldest sister. So I'm like, okay, what is going on? You know, like mm -hmm. I'm worried, I'm concerned. Who is this lady? Um, so I asked her and she's like, that's the school psychologist. And um, I got really interested in psychology. I was like, okay, well, what do they do? You know, like, why does she see him? So I started, you know, like asking more questions 
and kind of as talking to my grandma about it too, you know, like what is psychology? Let's, I want to look into that. And by the end of probably my middle, probably a middle school, I knew I wanted to major in psychology. I knew that was something I was interested in. I always had anxiety from probably since I was little. I always, I didn't have the words for it, but I knew that's, I now know that's what it was. So um, I obviously, I started looking into that. I decided to want to major in it. And for me, I mean, the community that we come from, it's, you don't talk about it. You don't talk about mental mm-hmm. health. You see your family members struggling. You see your family members going to prison. You see them go to rehab, you know, all these different things. But we never talk about the root of it. You know, like, why is this happening? You know, why why is so-and-so so uh, deranged? And also just, like, what? how can we help them? You know, we don't really mm-hmm. talk about that. So I knew that from a young age that I wanted to help stop that stigma because not only were like my cousins in my immediate family experiencing that, but I mean, I know that it's it's pretty common in marginalized communities, you know? So I felt like really called to it. And even in class, like in psychology and courses I was taking, I was just like, I would find myself, you know, really emotional and ha- I had to leave class sometimes because I was just like, this is too real. Like this is, mm-hmm. this isn't just a book. This is happens all the time. I've been here. I've seen it, you know? So for me, it was just like, I wanted to help destigmatize it because we all go through things, you know, we all go, we all have, who knows if you have anxiety or not, but either way, we all have emotions and we shouldn't suppress them. You know, that happens a lot in our community, mm-hmm. suppressing the emotion. Like, yeah. So I'll, yeah, that's too frequently. It does. It does. And it ruins lives. It really ruins lives. I've seen so many of my family members, their lives just be taken over and ruined by their mental illness. In addition with um, addiction, so, yeah, that's part of the reason why, like, I got so interested in it. And to me, I mean, I feel like talking about it in a way that's a little more casual rather than, like, talking about it that's so – talking about it, talking about it in a way that's so serious and um, – not that it's not serious, but, you know um, – No, I know what you mean. Yeah, like, let's stop, let's stop being so quiet about it. Like, let's talk about it because the reality is, like, if we don't, more of us are going to end up, you know, in the hole, the cycle. So there's, there's so much I want to unpack with you (laughs) from what you just said. Like one, I want to focus on you. Like when did you, so you talk about when you kind of realized you had something, right? Like you didn't know how to, how to name it. You didn't know it was anxiety. Cause again, we don't, we're not taught these things like young. And when did you like figure out like, oh, this is what I have. Like, this is anxiety. Was it when Mm -hmm. you started, like, did you start seeing a psychologist or? Yeah. So actually, So I did. So I started, fortunately, I started therapy in high school, actually. There was a program that I got connected with. And because I meant I shared what was going on at home with one of my teachers. And she connected me to connected me to this free service. And I started seeing a therapist. And it was really weird because, I mean, come on, we don't do that in our, mm-hmm. we quote unquote, don't do that in our culture, um, right. which is another thing to unpack. But oh, yes. <laughs> We'll touch on that. <laughs> yeah. So I started seeing a therapist and I, I continued to see a therapist in college. And I mean, in college, it got quote unquote worse, you know, like my anxiety and just like depressive symptoms. So I started to see a therapist at, um, at San Jose State. And that's when like everything just started to hit me. Like <clears throat> I had to unpack so much because you're so stressed out. You know, a lot of things come up for you. And I mean, I can't call my family and tell them everything that's happening, you know, I'm trying to unpack trauma. I'm in school. I'm working. Like, it's a lot. So that's what I did. I started to see a therapist. And I highly, I always advocate, especially to my friends, you know, if you have the access to it, see a therapist. Because it's not because something is wrong with you. It's not, there's nothing, it's okay to talk to somebody, you know. Um, And that was hard for me at first because, I mean, I'm always, I felt like I was always on the other end listening to people. And so when I had the moment to share what was going on, it was really hard. It was really, really hard. <laughs> that part. Yeah. <laughs> when you're yeah. always a listener. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But talk about the access part because you're right. Marginalized communities not only deal with all these mental health issues and anxiety, and I shouldn't call it issues. It's not issues. But, you know, they deal with these emotions. They deal with a lot of trauma. And the problem is, is that we don't have in a lot of our cultures, we don't have the luxury to go see a therapist. Like it's not part of our culture. Mm-hmm. Like when I used to 
say like, oh, mom, I'm feeling like sad or I'm feeling this. We just pray about it. <laughs> and that was kind of like our, our, our way to like get through the hump. And I know other families probably do something different. And, you know, again, everyone has their thing. But the access part, it's not only like a taboo topic in our culture, but it's also like there's not enough resources out there that at least we know of in our communities. So like for you, how do you how do you see yourself in that in that bubble? Like, do you want to give more access to marginalized communities? Do you are there access like are there resources out there that we just don't know about? And like, just unpack that part with you, too. No, I love that. I feel like. So for me, like I fortunately I had access to that therapist in high school because of the teacher I spoke to, but I definitely agree. I think that I think that the thing is one, the conversation doesn't happen a lot in our in our community. So when it does, you know, it's not like it's not like our communities necessarily know where to go see a therapist. You know, what do you even look up? You know, who do you who do you ask about those things? Um, and yes, one hundred percent I would like to make mental health services more accessible to underserved communities because like you said they face we face a lot of adversity and you know it's a lot to hold on to your whole life and then suddenly you know one day it all hits you and who knows what you do with those emotions you know so I do think there are there definitely are resources I think that um are there enough no I don't think that there are enough resources um but what I would recommend, I've even told like all, like, for example, my mom had reached out to me about, you know, like, oh, you know, like, who should I, what should I look into if I want to see a therapist? And what folks can do is literally just if you have access to the internet, um, go ahead and just type in whatever your county is, type in mental health services and type in your county. And you'll be able to find a list of resources. If there's not many, then you can go ahead and just keep searching because sometimes it depends on the county too. Um, for example, in San Diego, I know that they have like a, a website I had I had gone to through the county and you can chat with somebody until 10 p.m. and ask them for services. Where are they? You know, this is what I'm going through. This is what I need. Um, but again, do our families know about that? Probably not, you know. Um, so for me, one of the most important parts is when I talk about mental health on social media, making this information accessible, digestible, and, you know, just meeting people where they're at because, if I'm bringing up a psychiatrist, you know, how many, I don't know, maybe our families don't speak, you know, fluent English or, you know, do they even know what all these things are, you know, what's the word in, in the language that they're using? Like, how do I explain this to them in a way that is um, not only understandable, but accessible, like, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's that too, it's a language barrier. And on that topic, are there, I don't know if we, if we have any numbers or if you like know this, but are there enough therapists of color that like help our community that's like a whole probably a whole different thing to unpack but (laughs) yeah there's not there's not I'll say that right now there's not um I work I actually my workplace right now fortunately I mean there's there's a couple of therapists that I noticed and social workers that are of color but that that seems to be a major issue and I noticed it immediately even when I started you know doing psychology as a student I started noticing you know okay you all are telling us all this information and all these people are older white men, you know, like, okay, where is the diversity? You know, like how, when are we going to talk about cultural competency in therapy, you know, and maybe that's later on in graduate school, but I think it should be something that's focused on even earlier, especially for folks like us that are sitting in the seats and are like, I'm a there, I want to be a therapist of color, you know, like my, you know, like we're going through a lot of different things. So there's not, there's definitely not, but what you can do is you can go online. I know that there's so many different resources online. Just type in therapists of how to find therapists of color. It may be a journey, unfortunately, to find like an immediate resource, but um, it does take some research to find, you know, like the right therapist. Um, I mean, a lot of therapists I saw, uh, they were not of color. And that was really hard for me because I was like, how am I going to open up to you? I don't feel comfortable. It's like you're opening up, but you also at the same time are trying to educate them on your experience. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It's like a double layer of like, damn, I have to just like do the most here. (laughs) And a lot of folks don't want to do that, you know? So a lot of folks like, like from our communities are not going to go to therapy partly because of that too. You know, you don't look like me. You don't speak the same language as me. Yeah, no, like, (laughs) 
<laughs> like even down to, I mean, this is like off the topic of therapists, but just in the medical field, like when I come to San Diego, I love seeing my doctor because she's someone who studied in Tijuana, you know, she's like legit, like this Latina, like, and I love having that authentic conversation with her. Like she gets it, but talking to someone that's like, you know, an older white man, I'm like, okay, I don't feel as comfortable, you know, saying Mm -hmm. certain things. And so it's like the same thing as finding a doctor, but finding, you know, someone as like a life coach, a therapist who can really like understand the complexities of your identity. Mm -hmm. It's a hard thing to educate people on that. (laughs) It is. And if there's anything I can recommend to my Latinx community, there is a podcast on Spotify and iTunes. It's called Latinx Therapy. And oh my God, it has been it has been such a, a game changer for me because, I mean, the therapist that is, is hosting it, she is Latinx. And she talks about a lot of issues that our community specifically faces. So if you're interested in therapy or you're questioning, should I see a therapist? I recommend listening to that podcast um, because it'll, I guess it, it'll make, it feels more welcoming, you know? Because mm-hmm. um, some of the episodes are in Spanish too. So she touches on a lot of topics that we specifically experience. So that's something I would recommend. Oh, I love it. Well, I want to go back to you for a sec. I know we like mm-hmm. that's it's good information, right? For whoever's listening, but going back to your journey in in, in with anxiety, how yeah. have you? And I know in college it gets worse because I mean, there's so much. Like you said, there were so many things you were feeling. Not just like being a first generation, but one thing that I talk about a lot is the pressure of being a first generation. Like it's not just like dealing with school for the first time and learning how to do the things but it's like you you carry this burden of everyone else of your whole family of your of your community of every single latina person latinx person that's behind you like you carry that burden with you because you don't want to fail i get it (laughs) that was literally me all through college i'm like i can't i can't mess up i can't mess up i gotta like you know kill it so for you, like dealing with that in college, how have you managed your anxiety? Is that the right word to use? Like manage? Like how do you? Yeah, I would say that coping, like managing. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I can definitely relate to you when you said that you had all that pressure. I feel like I had a ton of pressure on me. I'm already really hard on myself as it is as an individual. So going to college, I had a lot of pressure in, on me in general because I always, I mean, my family they didn't really, it's not that they pressured me in a sense, but I felt like you said I had my whole, not only my parents, but like their parents and then their parents' parents, like they're, they were like, what's the word? Um, they were betting on me, you know, like, and I could feel it, you know, because for me, like my roots and my ancestors, like they mean a lot to me. I feel like when we make the changes we do in our lives, like breaking cycles and college and all this, we, we get there and we finish we're doing that only not only for us, but for our whole family, you know, whether they're here or not. Um, so yeah, it was tough. I feel like, I mean, everything, self-care, okay, self-care, for example, I didn't know what that was really until college. What even is that, you know, like, and, and I started to, <laughs> I started to define it, you know, and to me, that took, it took a long time for me to accept that, you know, it's not always going to look the same. Self-care may be just me, like, that's how I cope with anxiety. Like maybe it's just me taking a nap. Maybe it's me calling a friend, exercising, talking to somebody, you know? Um, It was hard. It was definitely like, it was probably the hardest, my third or no, second and third year of college. It was probably the worst, my anxiety. I mean, sometimes I couldn't even, I couldn't even go places because I just felt so wrapped up in my thoughts, you know? Um, So number one was therapy because I always saw a therapist um, at San Jose State. Number two was also just talking in community with my friends about what's happening. And number three, like really having to deprogram my thoughts because I would have days where, you know, I would feel exhausted and I just really needed a break. And I felt bad, you know, I'm like, why why do I need a break? You know, my dad came from Mexico. He works 10, 12 hour days still. And here I am, I'm privileged and I have school, I'm working, he's helping me here and there with things I need. Like, I, it doesn't make sense, you know? So <laughs> I'm gonna touch on that after. <laughs> yeah, I had to like reparent myself, you know, because, and even like, thankfully, I actually brought it up to, years later, I brought it up to my grandma and grandpa, like telling them how, how much pressure I felt. And I cried because I, I just opened up to them and I told them like, yeah, this is what I felt for years, you know, like being here, 
I felt an, a crazy amount of pressure. And my grandparents basically told me they were like, you know, we're proud of you. And we did not expect you to come out of college or leave college being like a money making machine or something, you know, like you're a human being and we're proud that you're there. That's it. So that made a lot of difference too, like talking to my family about it. Um, so those are my thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to touch on something you said, because this is something I think us first generation peeps do like all the time. It's we constantly compare ourselves to our parents' struggle, right? Like why, why am I over here tired and like laying down when my parents like came over, like I think about my mom, like she came here as a single mom with five kids. She was pregnant. Like I think about that all the time. Like, oh, I can't be tired. And like, that is like, I, I, I need to stop. We need to stop. You know, we need to stop comparing struggles because it's not helping. It's not helping us with our mental health. It's just like we burn ourselves out because we think that's the way. And that's exactly what the problem is in our community. It's like they don't pause to like chill. Like even that we were talking about this with my mom because like, you know, since she was 19 years old, she's been a mom and she's 61 now and she doesn't know how to not be a mom like she doesn't know how to not stop and chill and take care of herself I'm like mom go on a vacation like go visit my tia and like she's she's like no no no, I love being home but I was like mommy why are you cleaning why are you cooking why are you doing all these things like it's just me like I mean I can take care of myself you know like I'm home now but I'm like I could take care of myself like you and papi go do something you know and she's like no no and she just you know she doesn't know how to like not be on activator survivor mode yep and again, yeah. that's the problem with that. We need to stop comparing ourselves. <laughs> no, yeah, I agree. And I think um, <clears throat> everything you just said is super relatable, like especially like seeing my mom and dad, because my mom has been, she's been a mom since she was, she was, she had me when she was 18. So she has four of us. There's four of us now. And even today when I go home, you know, she, I'll find her like cleaning and I'm like, why are you, why are you cleaning? There's nothing to clean. Like, let me do it, you know? And it's hard for her to let me do it, you know? Um, so I feel like it's a generational thing too. And like, yeah, my mom, I feel like she, we have to remind each other, you know, like, you know, take care of yourself, you know, go outside, you know? Um, but yeah, I feel like my dad, for example, oh my God, my dad, people (laughs) think like my friends, my friends and like, even like my partner sometimes will be like, you know, you're always doing something like you're busy, you're busy. Like I'm always busy, you know? And I, I think I really get it a lot from my dad because my dad is always on the go. Like, He's always working. If he's not working, my dad's looking for work, you know, because he has his own business. Um, So he's had his own business probably for over 20 years now. And now he's like, what, in his mid 40s, still working, like still going, going, going. And it's hard. Like, it's really hard because we've been conditioned to feel like you said, we should be doing that, too. You know, Um, so it's a lot. I feel like uh, coping with it, too, is like coping with anxiety is me reminding myself hey, you know, like, are you in survival mode or are you, are you not, you know, basically, because I feel like I spent a lot of, I was just talking to myself about this in my car the other day when we, I was thinking about what we were going to talk about. And I was like, oh my God, I really have been in survival mode, like most of my life. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. damn, when am I going to breathe? You know, like, (laughs) yes, yes. (laughs) And that's, that's the thing that like, you know, we could talk about this too, but when you graduate college, like that's a whole different like ball game because it's like, all right, I got through that hump, but now there's no one telling me what I'm going to do next year. Now there's like no classes I have to sign up for. There's no game plan, you know, like now it's like life. You have to get a good job and get paid and have stability and do all the things that like, you know, your parents don't have access to, your family didn't have access to. So do you want to touch on that? Yes. No, <laughs> yeah. A whole different level of anxiety. Yeah, no, it definitely, it does because- it doesn't, it doesn't. I'm trying, because like right now, I feel like I'm at a point in my life where I'm really, really trying to deprogram thoughts that I have, you know, like that, for example, like me having all this pressure on myself to to do X, Y, and Z for my parents. And I, I still am going to do it. Like I still want to. But for somebody who has dealt with anxiety for so long, I feel like it's just coming to a point where it's not, it's not uh, helpful anymore, you know? So for me, like, sometimes I'll just journal it out. I'll talk about it, you know, like, okay, what are my thoughts? Like, what are the pressures that I feel like I have today? And I'll go back and read it, you know, and I'm like, why was it so extreme? You know, like, why, like, why was I so dramatic? Um, 
But I do feel like, like you said, there's a, there is a pressure to, for example, my dad and my mom, like, I want to help them. Like, I want to help them get a house. I want to, I want to help take care of them. You know, they helped me all my life. They still, my dad still does sometimes, you know, like I'll call him and be like, Hey, you know, this is going on. And he'll just listen to me. Um, so it's hard. There's a thin line. And I feel like that's a part of being first generation. Mm-hmm. because not only like if you go to school you know if you're first generation my dad I mean my dad the thing is me the thing is like my dad and our like our way upbringing is so different because I mean he came from Mexico there's 12 of them and he grew up like not going to not going to college at all like finished middle school started working right away and me I finished all of school you know I'm ho- hopefully going to go back and get my master's so even having conversations sometimes it's like a little hard because it's just like we both have different experiences and you know like I want to help obviously I want to help him and all these things but I feel like um I guess what I'm trying to say is like it's just it's tough like that part even sometimes you know because the way my life has been is not the exact same as my dad's and that's where I find myself also like thinking okay well I'm so privileged you know like mm-hmm. you know I need to yeah. I need to also think about how I talk to my dad because my dad my dad is really smart. He has his own business. You know, he's been doing it for so long, mm-hmm. but I don't know. Like it's, I find it difficult sometimes just, just uh, relating in a way that's like, um, like, I don't want to make it sound like I think I'm better or something, you know, like, cause I'm not, you know, <laughs> but then that's another thing too, you know, like that's, that's a whole different, <laughs> a whole different pressure. Like coming back home, like even now I'm like home for a long period of time. And this is the longest I've been home with my parents and my cousin, with my brother, like we have my whole family's here, you know, and having those conversations with them, like, I don't want to be that girl. That's mm-hmm. like, I come back from college and I think I'm like, you know, like all that and a bag mm-hmm. of chips. Like I think I'm just like, you know, yeah. <laughs> like my parents say la, la tan tan, you know, mm-hmm. but no, it's true. I mean, that's again, a different side of pressure that, yeah. that we, we face. Like it's, it's privilege, like for sure. Like we do have a set of privilege that we do have to check at the door when we come back home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I feel like, but for me, I always try to remind myself, you know, like it's all, this is all a part of being like first generation because yeah. I mean, later on, hopefully, you know, when, if I decide to have kids, like they're, I'm going to be able to talk to them about these things, you know, and like they're, it's going to be the conversation will hopefully be a little bit different. Um, mm-hmm. And there'll be generations of, you know, like change. Um, but yeah, that's not about my about my parents, but when it comes to anxiety, I think even recently, like my in my mental health, um, I think patience for me has been like the most important thing. Um, having patience with myself, because some days, you know, like I wake up and I'm like, okay, I want to get everything done. Like I'm juice. Like life is great. Yada yada. And of course, we're human. We all have those days, you know. <laughs> but some days it's like, okay, no, today's just not the day. Like. <laughs> um so being patient with that like ebb and flow of emotions is another way like I cope with it um yeah talk about what anxiety looks like like for someone listening and they're like what is anxiety like what does it look like like for people who like probably are you know navigating through anxiety and don't even realize Mm -hmm. so anxiety uh and I I can speak from like my own experience and just things I've learned but um anxiety looks like you know for example, if you have um, if you have to be somewhere and there's a lot of people, you know, like maybe there's a crowd of people, and you start your heart kind of like starts racing a little bit, and then your mind your thoughts just start going, 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 and you're nervous, and um, sometimes you know it can result in like panic attacks, which literally feel like you're dying. I've been there before; like it feels like you're dying. Um, but anxiety feels like that, you know, like you can feel it in your body. Um, what else you know maybe you can't you have a hard time getting to places because you're nervous like there's a lot of nerves and I feel like I think in Spanish um, I don't speak fluent Spanish but I know in Spanish like there's like a a way of saying it it's like um like this person has nerves you know like when uh, someone described it like that to me um I don't know how to say it but uh, that's yeah. I mean that's anxiety in Spanish okay so someone said like my one of someone described it to me as like their parents literally said oh, like, they have nerves, like, in Spanish. That's how they described it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, it can be like that or what else? Um, Avoiding, oh, yeah, avoiding situations. Like, for example, um, avoiding a conversation, like a difficult conversation. Avoiding yourself, you know, like, 
you said you were going to do this and then you don't do it and you just keep avoiding it. Um, mm. so that's what it looks like for, from my experience. Um, yeah, it feels really uncontrollable. You almost feel like you can't control what is happening and you feel like you're, it's like fight or flight mode, basically. Um, you're in survival mode and your body is responding in that way. Wow. And for someone who doesn't know what that is, right, they're probably dealing dealing with it and they're like, why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> why am I feeling this way? Yeah, yeah. Oh and sometimes, like you, said, like you said, you don't even know it's because to me, even though I have anxiety, sometimes like I'll be so disconnected that I don't even realize like that's what's happening, you know? Like, oh, right. I'm on the verge of a panic attack because I'm so – I'm so nervous or anxious. I didn't even realize because I'm so on autopilot. Suddenly, like, it's hitting me, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I want to touch on you. You talked about your dad's upbringing and your upbringing. So, like, talk a little more about, like, how you grew up. And one of the things that, again, as first generation, what we, what I think about, what my friends, what we talk about is, like, how we want to raise our children, <laughs> right? And, like, oh, that's yeah. my fear, like... I don't want to have my children be spoiled, but I also don't want to not give them anything. You know what I mean? But like the way I grew up is totally going to be different from the way they're going to grow up. So like just to touch on your experience, like how was your upbringing? Yeah. Versus, you know, your dad's like versus his upbringing. I mean, I feel like it was like I and I, I definitely can relate to what you just said about how I want to give my kids stuff. I want to give them things, but I also don't want them to be too spoiled. Where they don't understand you actually have to work for things, you know? Um, but my dad, so, I mean, yeah, so the way, so for example, my dad, I mean, he would tell me and he'll, he'll, he still tells me things. He has a lot of trauma, like right off the bat, I'll just say it like that. He, growing up with so many siblings and having to work immediately, um, he was raised very religiously. They were his, he grew up apostolic. And I remember like my dad would tell me stories uh, here and there, especially after my grandpa had passed away. Uh, my grandpa was very abusive. Uh, physically, and to all of them, all of my all of my dad's siblings, um, including my dad, and he would tell me stories about about those situations. And I mean, he would tell me, you know, but it would never, it would only go as far as just telling me. He wouldn't really elaborate, you know, on like how it made him feel. Um, so my dad told me from a young age, you know, I never want to hit you all. Like I never want to physically, physically like do that to you because I've been in situations where you know. I was young and my dad, he would hit me and my grandma, he would also abuse my grandma and it wouldn't stop. You know, I was young, I couldn't defend myself and I never want to put you all through that. So again, he grew up in a, he grew up in the church, um, very, and I, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this, but I mean, it was very hypocritical. My dad would explain it in a way where it's like, my grandpa would show a certain face in the church and when they got home, you know, he'd be extremely abusive. Um, and he was an alcohol. He was also an alcoholic. So that that situation. And then my dad, coming out of that, you know, my dad had his own experiences and trials and tribulations with, uh, you know, substance abuse. And um, when I was born, he actually stopped drinking uh, so much and stopped being so violent. And he decided, you know, like immediately when I was born, that he didn't want to be that way anymore. Like he wanted to change. He wanted to start, you know, basically being a new human being. So looking back, like now at my, how I was raised, my dad, you know, he never, they never um, physically, you know, abused me. They never did anything like that, you know, but my, my dad worked a lot. My dad was the, was the one that made all the money, you know, and he was gone a lot. And I, I saw my mom, you know, uh, struggle with mental illness and I, there's four of us and I'm the oldest. So, and I feel comfortable talking about this now because me and my mom, have, we've talked about it before, but, you know, I was the mom. Like, I was I was also the mom. My mom, she did the best she could, and I'm grateful for her, and she did what she could with what she knew, but she was also in an environment growing up that wasn't the best, you know, because her dad, my grandpa, was addicted to drugs for a lot of her life, and um, he's not anymore. He stopped, but so both of them came together, and they had all of us, you know, like, and... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I definitely, I noticed that my mom had dealt mental illness right away. And I had a lot of, uh, I mean, there was a lot of emotional, I guess, abuse when I was younger um, that I experienced. And um, it was very hostile environment. And my siblings, you know, we all dealt with it differently. 
but that's part of the reason why I wanted to leave because I felt like just kind of trapped, you know, I, I needed to get away. Otherwise yeah. I was, I was really angry for a long time with the way things happened when I was younger. And I have cousins, for example, that I grew up with, we were going to adopt them and um, they were in the foster care system and that whole situation too. Like, you know, I wasn't in the situation myself, but that was also pretty traumatic, like witnessing. Um, so yeah, that's another reason why I got interested in psychology because I was just like, okay, why is this all happening? You know, like, why do we all, why does this keep happening? Why are you all, why are we all this way? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, yeah, I can, I can feel you getting emotional just <laughs> talking about that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I feel it girl. I mean, that's again that's another thing with our families like they deal with so much trauma so much so many things right and they don't know how to address it and it goes back to that access to that conversation that's so taboo in our culture it's like we don't talk about these things and it doesn't have to be like I love what you said like it doesn't have to be a serious topic or like you know it can be something casual and again that's why I, I keep going back to you like you are the the door for me to like vulnerability like you legit taught me that because you talked about it in such a casual way where I'm like, oh my God, I can talk about this too. Like, this is normal. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you normalized it for me. And so I'm like, I hope whoever's listening, like it can be normalized for them too. Like, this is not something you should be ashamed of, something that you should hide away, something that we're used to hiding away, you know, something that we can talk about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, this is why I love our conversations. <laughs> and, if, and if for everyone who's listening, you know, I feel like just know that, and I know everyone like this, ha- this said a lot, but it's true. Like there's always somebody that wants to listen. Trust me. Like I've been in many situations where my back is against the wall. I'm at my wits end and there is somebody who wants to listen. So I know it, you can feel alone in your thoughts and your emotions a lot of times, but nine times out of 10, like Jasmine just said, someone else is experiencing the same thing. Um, yeah. It's not an isolated situation, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, again, I, I go back to that walk, <laughs> that little mm-hmm. walk we had, like it literally set the tone for our friendship because again, you normalize that conversation. And that is not something I was used to. None, none of my friends ever did that. Like still to this day, I have to like teach my friends that vulnerability and now they're like Jasmine you're hella vulnerable you're always like (laughs) like you're always in your feels and like I want to get to that point and I'm like that's the goal like I'm trying to like normalize it so it's not this like thing and be real yeah be authentic like be you and I feel like my best friend my best friend is someone who taught me that a lot because we and her like our relationship we've been friends since elementary school but um she taught me that too you know like be be who you are and like whatever you're feeling don't suppress it because either way, like it's going to come out, you know? Um, yeah. So that's that. And um, what else, what else is it, <laughs> what else is it when it comes to mental, mental health? Do you have any more questions when it comes to that, that subject? No, I mean, that was, that was the conversation. One of the last things I do want to do though, is um, quickly do a deep dive on like, growing up your cultura right like you said like you don't you're not fluent in spanish right mm-hmm. yeah like growing up i feel like growing up because you're mexican mexicana and filipina right mm-hmm. so like growing up as a mexican woman and filipina woman in san diego is a whole different culture in its own like yeah. so talk a little bit about that like being a first generation with like growing up in a, in a Mexican, you know, I don't want to say Mexican environment, but it is, you know, San Diego's like this, the culture here is like really Mexican and it's beautiful. And like my dad and I joke about it all the time. We're like, let's get like tacos. And my mom's like, where? And I'm like, anywhere, like <laughs> it'll be bomb. <laughs> so talk a little bit about your cultura, like how you grew up in, in terms of your culture. Yeah. So honestly, I mean, growing up, it was, it was a little confusing sometimes because like I would grow up, for example, on my mom's side, I grew up mostly going to her family's houses. So on that side of the family, like there's Filipinos and Mexicans. And then we have some, you know, cousins and family who are mixed with like Guamanian, Mexican, Filipino. Like there's just so many, it's like a melting pot at my great grandma's mm-hmm. house. Like it was always like that. So growing up, like, I mean, I didn't speak Spanish. That was hard. Like that was really, really hard for me because I just felt like 
I just felt bad, you know, like, I remember, like, from a young age, and, like, we're all kids, so, you know, we say things, but it's just, like, I mean, people would, I remember being asked, you know, like, are you sure you're Mexican? Like, you don't speak Spanish. What? Weird. Like, look at you. You look, clearly look Mexican. Like, what's going on? And um, I, for a long time, I felt, I guess I felt bad about that because people would, I guess, question my identity. Um, So that was interesting, like, growing up. Um, And my dad, I mean, my dad speaks fluent Spanish, but again, like, he was always working, you know, so my mom doesn't speak Spanish. So we weren't really expected to speak it at home. Um, but, uh, basically when it comes to my culture, I mean, we, I didn't grow up religious either. Like my dad and my mom, both of them, they kind of stepped away from religion once they had us because of their own like traumatic experiences with it. Um, so growing up, you know, we had like tamales on Christmas, you know, pozole, menudo, like my parents would make all like, that's, I guess that's the way that we, we did things like culturally. That's how we practice our culture food, like Food, 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 mom food. food. Yeah. yeah, like my mom gets down in the kitchen. Like she can make anything and everything. Um, so she like that's. I feel like that's the biggest way. Like we practiced our culture because um, we didn't really have a religion we practiced growing up. And um, but my best friend, shout out to my best friend again. She put me on because she was raised like she was raised traditional Mexican. Like traditional Mexican as one, like you practice all the holidays, you know, Mother's Day is not on Mother's Day, it's the day before, Yeah. Um, you know, and like all these traditions. So she would always, her, her family always opened the doors to me. They would ask me to come, you know, for their own holiday celebrations. And um, she introduced me to so much. Like the first time I went to Mexico, which I mean, I went to TJ, but the first time I went, yeah, yeah. oh my God, my best friend took me. So I had never been before. I probably was like 13. And I didn't tell my dad. I did not tell my dad. He's going to find out now. He'll find out now. And he'll be like, he'll probably be mad for like 20 minutes, but whatever. I did it. So I went and he was like, because he was always like, no, you're not going to go. You're not going to go. And so one day, like I went, I went with her. I took my, my ID and all that. And we went, we went, we went out. We went to go, went to go get snacks. We, she, we pulled up to the local ice cream lady's house, her house. Yep. Her house. And. <laughs> We got food, like we got our ears pierced, like we were out, like like I was doing the thing. We were doing the most, honestly, and it was so cool. Like I was just like, what? Like, and yeah. I pretended, you know, I tried to speak Spanish, um, because she was like, you know, you gotta try. So I did, um, and she really introduced me to a lot when it came to like our culture and foods and just like different tra- traditions, um. Because without that, I don't think, like, I mean, my parents, they tend to be, at least my, my immediate family, they're very Americanized. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we, again, we eat all the Mexican food and traditional things, but yeah, we're not, we don't speak Spanish, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. but like, and that's the beauty of it. Like, you know, this podcast is called Hella Latina. And the point is, like, not every Latina looks the same. You know, not every Latinx looks the same. Like, we all have different experiences, but that doesn't take away from our identity. It doesn't. Like, I speak fluent Spanish and like you don't doesn't mean I'm more Latina than you. Like it doesn't mean anything. Like our experiences are just so different. And it at the end of the day, like we're all hella Latina. Yeah. <laughs> we're all hella Latino. We're all hella Latinos. Yeah. So I'm like, that's the point, right? It's like talking about our experiences without taking away from our identity. Yeah. And like just allowing space for it. And I and fortunately I had yeah. a lot of uh my best friend too and other friends who said things like that to me you know like don't feel bad because you don't know Spanish like don't that doesn't make you any less of anything you know like you have your own experience everyone does um so yeah I definitely have grown past that um yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that's whoever is listening I'm like you are still hella Latino like whatever yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> whether you know, or not you practice your culture whether or not you know it whether or not you speak Spanish like you are still you're still hella hella in our identity hella in our culture you're still yeah. part of our community because a lot of it in it too is it's not in your control you know like you were brought up a certain way so like that's it <laughs> right right and that's the thing like even with my nieces and nephews I have like 18 of them <laughs> I try to teach them Spanish because I know how much how hard it is for them when they don't know how to talk to my mom mm. you know I'm like go talk to your tita and they're like oh, but it's like hard you know like some of them don't speak Spanish and so I'm like telling them like, okay, dude, you got to practice. So like sometimes I only talk Spanish to them so that they can learn and they're not embarrassed by it. 
And I tell my brothers, I'm like, y'all, like, teach them Spanish. Like, they want to learn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they yeah. literally ask me questions all the time. But I mean, again, that's a whole different thing. You can't control it. It's not like you can just teach yourself Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A whole different thing. It is. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, oh. I know we also I want to- I love our conversations. <laughs> yeah. <always. me> too. <laughs> um, I know we-, we also wanted to talk about shortly because we don't have too much time left, but yeah. um i'm also a dj <laughs> yes i was gonna say i'm like okay we like we, we talk so much because this is what our conversations usually we're just like we go on all these different tangents but cafecito and chisme i want to know like what are you up to now how can people connect with you passion yes. project the dj part <laughs> yeah so outside of um so outside of school when i was in college i did become a dj so my name i'm also known as dj m's m's whatever yeah. either way you want to say it <laughs> um so you can find my mixes on soundcloud and mixcloud um you can go ahead and just type in m's dj on mixcloud and soundcloud and you'll find my mixes there um what am i up to right now i mean with everything happening outside you know we have a whole movement going on um it's been really hard to focus on like i guess making mixes so um recently i started making another one i have like a series of mixes i put together so I'm working on that here and there when I can. Um, and then what else? Passion projects. Well, I mean this, you know, like recently I've received like a couple more opportunities to talk about self-care and um, mental health. So I'm actually doing a webinar for first generation um, college students that are going to go, they're going to enter their first year in the fall. Um, so I'm excited about that. We're going to talk about self-care. Um, and then I'm starting a new... Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, and then I'm starting a new page on Instagram uh, in addition to my other pages. Um, it's going to be called Lemon Honey Iced Tea. And basically that page is going to be designated to affirmations, mental health, encouragement, um, bringing light to emotions. You know, what are the resources we have out here that we can use um, if you need therapy or if you just need like a boost of energy, whatever it is. Um, so that's another page. I love that name. Yeah. How did you come up with that? Oh my God. So basically there's a song. <laughs> Who is it? Oh, you know that song by the dream and fabulous. It's like, she's a 10. Oh Sorry. yes. Yeah. <laughs> 10. yeah. So basically I love that song. Um, so I heard it one day <laughs> and I was like, I butchered the lyric and it was like, um, sugar, honey, iced tea. That's what they said. And I was like, what about lemon, honey, iced tea? Like, that'd be cool. I wonder if anyone has it. <laughs> I was like, I wonder if anyone has it on Instagram. Because it's like a refreshing thing, you know, lemon, honey, iced tea. I think it's like, ooh, it's I know, that sounds good. bomb right now. <laughs> yeah, it sounds refreshing. So I was like, that's what I want my page to be like. I want it to be like refreshing and like uh, enlightening, hold space for people, you know, um, in our emotions. So yeah, that's another way you can find me. Um, I've also been working out. That's been, that's been Oh, girl, same. That's been like my stress reliever. Yeah, insane. <laughs> Honestly, like if I don't do it, I feel crazy. Like, I'm yeah, just like, yeah. oh, there's nothing to do. Like, but in, that. And I, we're about to walk out of here like new women. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, Literally. Well, Emily, I love you. Like, I seriously, like, you are my girl. You're my San Diego, like, you know, I still consider you one of my best friends. Like, you know, I know we don't talk every single day, but like legit, like I, I always talk about that moment, that walk, because it literally cemented our friendship. And so unmatched. You are yeah. unmatched. I love you too. And I know that um, I'm really happy for you in the podcast. Like, this is so cool. Like, I when I realized you were doing it, I was just like, this is perfect. Like, I've been waiting, like Loki, I was like, I'm waiting for to see what she's going to do because and I know you're going to do so many things, but I mean, you're, you have so many like goals and, and dreams and aspirations and like, you have a lot of experience. So I'm like, dang, what is she going to do? Like, I'm waiting to see like what project she's going to put out. Like, and you're doing a podcast and it's perfect. Like hearing your voice on the first episode, I was just like, oh my God, like, like, everyone needs an Emily in their life. Everyone needs an Emily. Okay. Well, let's close this with a brindis. And I don't have, again, this is cafecito. I'm like redefining what brindis means, but um, brindis is basically like a cheers. And so you know what that means. 
Um, and so let's just cheers and let's manifest some good for our, our Latino community, our Latinx community. So what is one thing you want to manifest for our community? And we'll, we'll cheers to that. So I want to manifest um, normalizing mental health conversations. Yep, that's what it is. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, whether it's you getting therapy or not, like whatever it is, I want us to talk more. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for tuning into today's episode. I hope Emily inspired you to embrace vulnerability and practice some self-care in whatever way brings you happiness. Remember to tune in next week for more Cafecito and Chisme and more Hello Latino Love. Follow me on Twitter at Odalis Jasmine, Instagram at Ojasmine, and find me on LinkedIn. Con mucho amor, tu amiga Andoreña.